Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. The fantasy playoffs are universally here. Derek Henry went insane. Amari Cooper is back and Saquon Barkley is everything we expected. We're talking all that and more on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. This is Rotoviz Radio brought to you by my bookie. I'm joined by Matthew Friedman, editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. What's going on tonight, Matt? Uh not much. Just uh, you know, Monday night football is going on and uh yeah, I don't know. I've had dinner. You know, life is good. Well, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm uh I was not sure especially last night that this show was going to get off the ground today because I am, I, this has been a good season for me. Fantasy wise, a lot of good teams, but the team that I was the most invested into last night, just, I've never had a team that was this good collapse. Like this team did just an absolutely pathetic showing. And to make matters worse at one point, it looked like I was still going to be able to eke it out and finally get the better side of variance in this league. I go to get my daughter ready for bed. I get her down, head back to my phone, and magically Amari Cooper suddenly has 50 points. Yeah, well, it happens. I mean, and then on, on, on the plus side, at least Antonio Brown didn't have a big week. Well, yeah, which was one of the major problems for this team that I had. And I'm oh, left okay. with such a bad taste in my mouth that honestly, like, I I really, for about 20 minutes last night, just thought about that was that was going to be it for me for the season. No more tools, no more podcasts, no more uh, articles. That was going to be it. I I was left with that bad of a taste in my mouth. I mean, there's always the next article to write. You know, always another podcast to do. I, I guess be, so. Which is, oh, which, there's always next season too. You know, so I know. That's so that, that's already like, even though I still have teams going, like my spirit is crushed. Uh, and then to make matters worse, right? So we have to go to the store. I said, we will go after the Patriots game. When we leave, I am not joking you, there are seven seconds left. The Patriots are up. And then I get home, too, to discover that we somehow managed to lose. And and I was just so confused. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, you you left when you shouldn't have. That that loss is on you. I'm um, sorry about that. Yeah. So, anyways, I I'm still here, um, a broken man. Uh, but wow, Derrick Henry last Thursday night really really went off. So we've seen flashes of brilliance from this guy at various points in his career. Will he ever completely put it together? Oh man, uh, I don't know. I kind of doubt it. I think part of it is because of the team that he's on. Uh, like I think if he were. I don't know. Like, I think if he were on the Cowboys, like he would be not doing what he did on Thursday night every night, but like he would be a very good, like top five, maybe top eight back in the league. Um, yeah. I mean, I just, I don't know if we're ever going to see that uh, in part because they have Deion Lewis and they're going to continue to use him some, but uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, he's got amazing talent. The interesting thing I think too about Henry is if you contrast his talent with Leonard Fournette, you should yeah. be able to say at the very least, they are similar athletically. They're similar skill-wise. And we saw when you place Fournette in an offense that works around him, and you know what's looking like now wasn't that great of an offense. You saw the success that he could have. So it definitely seems like, to a large extent, uh, Henry's a prisoner of circumstance. Maybe he's not quite as skilled as his biophysical profile would lead you to believe but it is surprising that they haven't made it more of a priority to get him heavily involved because you look too when DeMarco Mario was there they really had him going second fiddle it just yeah it doesn't seem like they really want to give him the keys to the offense for lack of a um, way to escape that cliche All right. Amari Cooper though has finally found himself in a correct situation Yesterday, 217 yards on 13 targets, three touchdowns, had a 75-yard reception mixed in there. I'm not sure if it was a touchdown, actually. Nearly 50 fantasy points. Um, Amari Cooper is a very good receiver, huh? And we just hadn't gotten to see that until the trade was made. Yeah, I mean, we saw it the first two years. You know, he was one of only, you know, I don't know, like eight to ten receivers uh, yep. to have a thousand yards receiving in his first two seasons. Uh, you know, as someone who entered the league at 21 years of age. So, I mean, you saw in the first two years that he had a lot of upside. Last year, he was just in a really subpar situation with, uh, you know, a bad system, a, a team. Uh, that was underperforming with a, a quarterback who was not healthy. And then this year it was just, you know, like, you know, he was being grudened and there was nothing he could really do about it. Um, but you you saw in the first two seasons that he had a lot of talent. Um, I'm surprised that he has been integrated into the offense in Dallas this well, this quickly. Um that is really surprising. I wouldn't have expected that. Um, I would have expected that maybe at some point uh, he would have been like a wide receiver too, just based on volume or something like that. But uh, he's been highly efficient and it's not as if he's been force fed the ball. He has only 8.8 targets per game with the Cowboys, which is like respectable, but that's not like high end. Uh, so that the fact that he's averaging 107 yards per game, uh, and I mean, we don't even need to talk about the touchdowns, but like a touchdown per game. And, and some of that I think is kind of fluky, but the fact that he's getting the yardage that he's being as efficient on, on his targets, uh, that is really impressive. So yeah, I mean, I think he's a wide receiver one moving forward. Like in, in Dallas, he's basically been the wide receiver one in fantasy. You know what I mean? So like, I think easily he's a wide receiver one moving forward. Absolutely. And it's been easy to lose sight of the fact that when you look at his size, speed profile, what he's done in the past, especially at such a young age, I mean, this is really a prototypical NFL wide receiver run. And I think now with the situation that he's in for fantasy purposes, if we look out to next season, I think it's hard to say that he doesn't project as a wide receiver one Again, if we were drafting today, do you take Cooper at this point over Antonio Brown? I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I do like it. So I, here's the here's the question. Is it like if we were to do like an end of season league yep. and I'm thinking for fantasy, do I do I take Amari Cooper over Antonio Brown? Is that the question? Yeah, that is. Yep. I mean, I I wouldn't. But I legitimately believe that in terms of uh, ability, uh, Amari Cooper is is better at this point than Antonio Brown. Okay. 
Um, I, I think, I think catch- Brown yeah. is the better fantasy receiver because he's going to get more volume. Uh, and specifically, I think he's going to be uh, continue to be used more heavily uh, near the end zone. Uh, so I just trust his volume a little bit more. But I think Amari Cooper is actually a better player. Okay. That's the type of thing I think we'll talk about more um, down the line in the offseason. I, I will say that I think we're at the point where there's really only so much we can offer to teams that are in the playoffs at this point. So we're kind of starting to look a little bit forward. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're somebody that's not in the playoffs, you're probably already to move on to next season. And I think a player that is now in the conversation for being the number one overall pick next season is Saquon Barkley. It really has become a situation where I think I can confidently say as wild as my expectations were for this guy, he's exceeded them at this point. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair because like if he hasn't exceeded your expectations, you would have had to have like all time great expectations for him. Uh, and he, you know, whatever those expectations would have been, he still would have exceeded them. Um, he's like, we knew entering, uh, this year that he was a great receiver. Um, but on top of that, he's been a very good runner. And there were people who, um, it's very, I think like David Johnson esque, like reminiscent of his situation. There were people who were like, Oh, although he is big and he's athletic, he doesn't run like a big back. Like he's not very good at running between the tackles. He likes to bounce it outside, blah, blah, blah. Like people assume that um, just because, I don't know, a guy isn't like maybe like prototypical in the way that like, I don't know, like Derrick Henry is or something right. like that, that uh, he can't be a good NFL back. Uh, and I think like that gets disproven repeatedly, like every other year with guys like this. Um, yeah, Saquon is amazing. Uh, I think he leads the league this year in like 50, uh, like 50 yard touchdowns. Um, he's a big play guy. He doesn't always, um, he maybe doesn't always like take the kind of like quote unquote, like free short yards. So maybe he ends up with more like one or two yard rushes relative to the number of two and three yard rushes that he should have. But I, I think he compensates for that, you know, with, with the longer touchdowns and then also with his ability as a receiver. So uh, I think it's fine. He's having an all-time great season. Uh, I wouldn't argue right now with anyone locking him in as the number one overall pick. For sure. And even back in college, actually, if you look at those long plays, he was prolific in those measurements as well. And we didn't focus on that a whole lot just because he was this prospect that transcended pretty much you know, everything we were looking at. So you didn't even group him into that conversation. We've now seen that huge big play ability translate to the NFL he's been very efficient to this season as a rusher 5.4 yards a carry 1,124 yards on just 209 attempts at this point nine touchdowns already at 96 targets 78 receptions 629 receiving yards and four touchdowns which if you looked at him purely as a receiver and compare him against a lot of big name wide receivers you know he's almost matching their production uh, purely as a receiver. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be interesting to see just how high drafters go with him next year if they're worried about a potential fall-off. But I think that um, it's really only going to be up from here for Barkley, in, in my opinion. Yeah, and, I, th- I think yep. he will be the I think he'll be the number one pick in, in a lot of leagues. Maybe not all of them, but in a lot of them. Yeah, and I think that it's hard to argue against that maybe some things will shake out uh for the Giants we'll see what happens with the quarterback maybe there's some organizational changes or or things along those lines we'll see what happens there but uh yeah I mean I think it's probably going to be him or Gurley and a reminder that you can learn more about what to expect from Barkley Gurley and all of the vets now as well as the incoming rookie class we're going to be having Rookie write-ups telling you about, uh, or excuse me, prospect write-ups telling you which players to watch in the Bulls that will be starting up as we're winding down the college football season. That means that we're now ramping up the coverage on these guys at Rotoviz. So go to rotoviz.com forward slash podcast to get a 30% listener only discount to all of our NFL content and get ready to find the next Saquon Barkley. Not that there's necessarily one out there, but if there is, we will make sure that you know about them. Gus Edwards, Matt, I think people have been a little bit disappointed since he took over as the lead back in Baltimore. We've seen a steady decline the last couple of games. And yesterday, Kenneth Dixon emerges 
with 15 points, gets half of the work of Edwards, but averages 7.4 yards a carry, gets a touchdown, catches his one uh, target two for 21 yards. Meanwhile, Edwards takes 16 carries, goes for just 4.2 a carry, which isn't terrible, but not as efficient as Dixon. In this game, where I was surprised, too, that the Ravens were able to take it into overtime against the Chiefs. Where are you now? This is, I think, one of the situations that we still should focus on, as this certainly will impact owners this week. Do you trot Edwards out again? Do you go with Dixon? How do you feel about either of these guys? Yeah, I don't think you can go with Edwards, um, but I don't know if I feel confident enough in being able to go with with Dixon. Um, He didn't have as many carries um, you know, so I think a, a lot of the, the, like the difference in their yardage, sorry, not their yardage in their production was basically just that Dixon got in the end zone. Um, but I mean, I think Dixon, I, I don't know if he's like definitively the better player, but it's hard to say that Gus Edwards is definitely better than Dixon. Um, Edwards, he was someone who was recruited to Miami. So he kind of has that pedigree, but he finished his college career at Rutgers at no point in his college career. Was he like really like the lead back or someone who is productive? Whereas you have Dixon, um, who is fantastically productive in his four years at Louisiana tech and is a very good receiving back. Um, so, and someone who was drafted by this team, whereas Edwards is just a free agent. Um, so, there's reason to believe that Dixon is better, and there's reason to believe that the team would have an interest in uh, giving opportunities to Dixon. Um, but like between those two, there's no way to know in advance what they're going to do. You know what I mean? Like you're basically just projecting based on usage, and at this point, we have no idea. I would bet Edwards continues to get more opportunities per game, but that Dixon might be more efficient with his opportunities, and will get almost all of the backfield receiving work, with the exception of Ty Montgomery. That's exactly where I was going to go with this. Yeah. If you look at the careers of them, and even at this point, you know, at this point, I think you can erase the college profile for Dixon. Really, in the NFL, we haven't seen anything too fantastic from him. Gus Edwards, you know, limited sample there, but we. We haven't seen anything that lends itself to a situation where the team is certainly going to use him more. Uh, I think in pure running situations, though, they're still going to want to go for him, but it's hard to say exactly what the distribution will be. Dixon's going to get more involved in the passing game, and I think that he will be more efficient. For those reasons, if I'm an Edwards owner, I'm probably trying to sit him, and I don't think that I'm going to feel good, like you said, about going out, picking up Dixon, picking up Dixon, just tossing him in right away another yeah, put, bet, like yep. push comes to shove if you have to start one of them uh i would go with edwards probably even right. in ppr because i think he has a, still a better chance of scoring a touchdown but like i wouldn't feel good about it right like i think edwards is going to score five or six points you can kind of count on that dixon very easily could score zero yeah uh the chief's backfield too is probably worth bringing up damian williams and spencer where matt are they both legit this weekend eight attempts for Damian Williams really no yard just 14 yards but does get into the end zone five targets four wrecks 16 yards and a touchdown so 19 points of course he got into the end zone twice which I don't think you're going to see that every week now where gets almost double the carries with 15 rushes for 75 yards caught five of five targets for 54 yards no touchdown still gets to 18 points are we using both of these players next week or are we going to fade Williams assuming that he just kind of hit the high end of variance in week 14. Yeah, I, I would imagine that Damian Williams, like, although uh, I really like him, uh, like I would imagine that he, and I should say like my like of him is based on what he did in college years ago in his athletic profile. Uh, but Don, like, that's probably not very relevant now that he's like, 26 like 27 <laughs> uh anyway Spencer Ware uh yeah if you have him I think you start him I think he's he's locked into his role um even though he didn't get a touchdown he's he still went you know like I don't know like 120 130 scrimmage yards yep. like he was getting significant usage uh and I think he always has a chance of scoring a touchdown uh Damian Williams he was able to get opportunities, but he was highly inefficient with them. He was just lucky to get into the end zone twice, you know? So, um, yeah, I think Spencer Ware, you have him, you play him, Damian Williams. Uh, I mean, I don't imagine that there was anyone who actually had him in their starting lineup last week. Like if you did, I don't know how you're in the playoffs, but you know, like, (laughs) like congratulations if that was the situation. Right. Williams becomes an option. I think that you only turn to if you 
are now in a situation where a couple of your guys that you were using got injured or there's something really murky there, then you go out and get him. You don't go out at this point, add him and plop him in there. Uh, Just because two things, you really don't know what you can expect. And he really hit the high end of variance last week. You take away those two touchdowns, which very easily could have been Spencer Ware or another player in that offense. Then all of a sudden you're not even considering him this week. Our boy, Josh Allen, is setting records, Matt. The (laughs) rushing production has been ridiculous. And I just love bringing up Allen because this shows how heading into the season, you would have thought that we hate this guy. But really, it was just the, the manner in which the Bills decided to go after him the draft pick that they used on him, but I'm actually really rooting for this guy now. And I've, I've had fun with this 101 yards, averaging 11.2 yards on the ground and a touchdown again this weekend, zero passing touchdowns, but with this rushing production, 18.34 fantasy points. And this guy is still now almost at weekly starter level. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it's one of those great situations where you can kind of have your cake and eat him too. Like not, not eat him too, but, uh, <laughs> like it's like, he's, he's like going full Tebow where like, you know, that he is a bad quarterback, like just like probably the worst NFL quarterback, um, that we've seen, you know, like, I don't know, since Nathan Peterman, <laughs> but, but like, it's just like, so fun from a fantasy perspective, like to just basically slum it with Josh Allen and know that he has the rushing floor. Um, and, and especially like the sort of like Cam Newton esque willingness to, uh, to go for the touchdown, the rushing touchdown, um, that like it, it gives you a built in floor, you know? So he's horrible passing the ball. Like he has a cannon for an arm, but like he's not accurate. He doesn't have a good receiving core. Um, like it's, he has he even in only one game. I'm looking at his stats now. In only one game this entire season has he had a completion rate above sixty percent. Like <laughs> he's just he's an absolute um, train wreck as a quarterback. But um, yeah, for fantasy, he's absolutely wonderful. You know, and he's going against Detroit. Uh, I think you basically start him again this week. So our our Joe Devola crazy stat of the week here is just going to be analyzing. This game log, or or specifically week 14. So again, 18.34 fantasy points. Keep in mind, 101 yards on the ground. So that's basically 10 points there and a rushing touchdown. So 16 of his 18.34 fantasy points came through the ground. His passer rating was (laughs) 44.44 because... He threw 18 or 36 passes, completed just 18 for 200 yards and the two touchdowns. And by the way, averaged just 5.7 yards uh, with his completions. So, I mean, it's not surprising coming from a player that had a 57% completion percentage in college, but this has just been really fun. And I do think that it's useful because given all of the pessimism surrounding him heading into the season, I still am seeing leagues where he could be scooped up. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think about the right way of phrasing this. Like, um, he is so inaccurate that he's not even throwing the number of interceptions that he should be throwing based, <laughs> like based on yep. his inaccuracy, like based on his completion percentage, you know, like you would expect that he should have, um, I don't know. I mean, like maybe, maybe like 13 or 14 interceptions at this point in the year, but he has like only nine. Like it's just, it's because he's like, sometimes when he misses, he just misses by so much that no one has a chance to catch the ball. Yeah. It's really weird when you think about this too. So you have a prospect who plays a position where the single most important thing that you do is move the ball from your hand to other players on your team. That is like the key defining skill. If you can't do that, you don't have anything yet teams felt like this wasn't that big of an issue, right? That's like if I show up for an accounting job and I just can't, I like, I can't add and I can't subtract is basically <laughs> what this is. But they were like, you know what? Right. We, we can teach him at this point. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah. So, um, next gen stats, you've probably seen this. They, they have, um, so they've mapped all of this data and, uh, based on kind of where he's throwing the ball, um, he should be completing about 60.5% of his passes. Uh, in reality, he's completing 52.4% of his passes. Um, and that spread um, of about like eight percentage points, um, that is like out of quarterbacks who have like started a significant number of games. Like that is by right. far the worst in the league. 
Right. You know, like with the exception of like Josh McCown, but he he hasn't started in many games. Um, but it's just he, he's he's really bad. Like he's a really bad quarterback. Everyone knew this, except for people who maybe don't look at numbers, who were like basically just looking at highlights. Um, but like everyone knew he had major accuracy problems. Maybe that can actually be fixed. Um, but like we haven't seen any signs that that is going to happen. Yeah. And just another way of saying this, too, is if the Bills want to complete like 25 passes a game, they have to throw like 50 times. Um, Trey Burden has fallen off tremendously. Uh, Heading into the season, Matt, what were you expecting and how has his performance matched up with those expectations? He started off pretty hot, but it's been pretty bad as of late. We've seen a couple of weeks where he's really just been non-existent. Yeah, it's... It's weird. Like, I don't know if I would say I actually had many expectations. Um, I know that there was a lot of hype around him. Um, I thought he would be better than what we've seen, um, but I still wasn't sure um, if he was going to, like, be given the targets that you would expect. Like, if, if, if someone said, like, we're going to take a guy who's pretty athletic and put him in the offense that really highlighted Travis Kelsey... Um, I would expect that guy to get a lot of targets, but the thing is like Burton is so clearly not Kelsey, like even from just like a biophysical type, like he's not nearly as big as Kelsey. Um, and he didn't have like the history of production that Kelsey had. So basically you were just hoping that a guy, uh, who was athletic, um, would be able to do well in a system that previously with like an all world tight end had featured that tight end. So like, I don't know, like he's, he's done, I don't know, maybe roughly what I thought he, he would do. Like, I don't have him on any of my teams. Um, there was always someone in whatever league I was in who liked him much more than I did. So I don't know that that might be like a cop out, but like, I, I don't know. Like I, I, I'm yet to like roster him in DFS and I don't have him on any of my teams. So like that, I think that kind of says like what I think about him. Like he's roughly done what I thought, thought he would. Um, he's, but I would say like, I would have expected more volume um, based on the volume he has gotten. I think he's been fortunate to score as many touchdowns as he has. And like, that's been the one saving grace with him. Uh, a couple of things. One being, the cat, while you were talking, unplugged my microphone. Um, so it's possible now I had to start recording this with a different program when I plugged things back in. So I might sound completely different. Now, to the points about uh, Burden here, I was kind of expecting, I think, more or less a similar outcome when things were said and done at the end of the season. Maybe with his point totals and kind of, you know, like having some up games, some weeks where he completely disappeared. I just wasn't expecting it to be in this stark of a contrast of splits. Yeah. I will say, though, overall, I think the Bears offense has been better than I was expecting. And that was one of the main reasons that I was down on him. I was thinking that they weren't really going to do a whole lot, period. But I do think I was wrong in that regard. With Burden, I may have been more on. Uh, but still, with the way that tight end scoring has gone this season. I think he's probably been more useful to have than some other options. A couple of those we will talk about later. Sure, watching football is fun, but it's more entertaining when you have some action on the games. You've heard us talking about this for weeks, and some of you are still on the sidelines. Whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at my bookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, like playing the numbers on roulette, you can create a big parlay, pick three teams to win. And if you hit all three, you could turn $100 into $600. There's a whole lot to bet on right now. You got college basketball, you got college football, bowl games, and playoffs coming up, NBA, NHL, of course. There's esports, you name it. And my bookie is the one bet that we know you will be happy with all year. We really trust them, they've been in the business for years. They get great online reviews, like the mobile site. It's easy to use. And if you sign up this week, they will give you a 50% deposit bonus to jumpstart your bankroll, which is a great way to bank even more money when you win with that 50% deposit bonus. So make sure that you follow them at my bet, at bet my bookie on Twitter. They respond to every mention in DM. They've given away more than $10,000 in free money to their followers throughout the football season. 
So make sure that you follow Matt Bet My Bookie on Twitter. Don't miss out on one of the best weeks to bet on sports this year. Log on to My Bookie right now and use the promo code RotoViz to get a 50% deposit bonus. That's promo code RotoViz. And again, that's My Bookie. You play, you win, you get paid. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9-2 excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. Drew Brees has thrown 415 passes through 13 games, so it looks like Matt is going to take down this bet unless things really fall off in terms of pace. No, I'm losing, right? No, you're not. He's at 415. Uh, so th- just given that pace that he's on now, which has reduced, you're still going to get another 125 or so uh, through the final four games of the season. So no, you actually you are going to win that. He's, he's going to go there- well over 500. Aren't there only uh, only three games left? Oh, right, 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 right. It's actually going to be pretty close then. It's gonna, yeah, it's gonna be pretty close. Like I, I would at this point, I would expect to lose. Really, you don't think he's going to throw seventy five in the next? Uh, I mean, that's easy. You only need twenty five a game, right? Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm just maybe pessimistic. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it'll be close. You know, like I, I could see, um, I could see a situation where uh, he maybe doesn't even need to play, like in week right. seventeen. All right. Well, I, so, I think if it if yeah. it comes to that, we'll just kind of like prorate it to, you know. Nah. No, I, I think if you win, you win. You know what I all mean? Right. Like, well, it's all yeah. right. We'll see. That's interesting, though. I, 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 it's funny. I was looking at my notes from last week when I was putting this together, so I forgot about that. So it is going to be three games. So at this point, I think I, it, it's going to be an interesting finish here. Uh, it's, it's going to be close. It's going to be yeah. really close. So uh, you know, maybe that can turn things around for me, and I won't feel so sour on the season now. Uh, we're going to talk about the biggest disappointments now. We kind of got into this earlier, talking about Trey Burden. Who was the bigger disappointment? Aaron Rodgers, who's currently quarterback 12 and averaging 19.6 points per game, pretty much unanimously the number one overall quarterback taken off the board, or Tom Brady, who in most leagues was either two or three, who ranks quarterback 17 and is averaging 18.2 points per game? Uh, I'd go with Rodgers, uh, in part because like I think even though there wasn't much in terms of um, like positional ranking separating Rodgers from Brady at the beginning of the season, like in ADP, there was actually like a pretty significant gap between those guys. And um, like you paid up for Rodgers basically banking on like quarterback one caliber production for the season. Like you weren't thinking the only way you were thinking that he wouldn't do well is if he had some sort of injury. Like with Brady, you you had to know like there's the possibility he's like outside of the top six at the end of the season. You know, like you had to know that. Um, I think Rodgers has pretty clearly been the more disappointing player. I agree with you there too because the opportunity cost of drafting Rodgers, like you said, there was actually a bit of a difference between when you took them, was much more significant than with going with Brady. You certainly missed out on some players that definitely could have helped you really win your league as where if you were somebody that was drafting Rodgers, you thought that making that move was going to give you some type of advantage that was going to help you take down your league. So I think it's been Rodgers uh, and Brady finally proved me wrong this week with a uh, overall QB1 performance. So hopefully you did not listen to me heading into last week. Two guys here where, you know, they're pretty good seasons, but I think that a number of people would have liked to have seen more. So Jarvis Landry, wide receiver, 25, 13.6 PPR points. 
per game or Brandon Cooks, who currently ranks wide receiver 21 and is averaging 15.3. I will say, as we did expect, it's worth noting that Cooks, at least on a points per game basis, slates in behind both Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. Of course, they kind of get helped out by the games and he's not there. So it's a little bit hard to really look at that situation. But who is the bigger disappointment, Landry or Cooks? I think Cooks, and uh, I think earlier in the season, maybe even beginning of the season, uh, like I talked about Cooks as someone I thought had like wide receiver one potential, uh, and I think he still does, um, but it's not going to be like realized exactly. You know what I mean? Like I think the season's going to end with him having around like thirteen hundred yards uh, from scrimmage and like five touchdowns, which is like that's a pretty good season. It's just that he's not going to get it with a high number of receptions. So in PPR leagues, that'll knock him down some spots. And, um, you know, there's always the possibility also that like in week 17, he won't see action. So like in the aggregate, that won't look good either. But um, I don't know. Like I I never thought Landry was going to be all that good. Mm -hmm. Like I've never really had all that high of opinion of him. Like I think he's more of a a volume fueled guy. Uh, And to start the season, I basically thought that, uh, Josh Gordon was going to be the guy getting a lot of the production. So I never really thought of Landry as the number one on that team anyway, but I did think of cooks as someone who, uh, I don't know, would, would maybe be closer to like 1400 yards, maybe, maybe like seven touchdowns. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think cooks has had a season that is, I don't know, close to what you might expect out of him. Um, but it still hasn't been enough. You know what I mean? Like it still feels kind of hollow. Right. I agree. Um, on that, that term of using hollow there with cooks. But for me, I think Landry has been the bigger disappointment because cooks, we knew that there were two other solid receivers there. And I think I may have misspoke, but, uh, obviously what I was saying was it's hard to tease out the points per game differences because cup, uh, being out obviously elevates cooks and woods a little bit, but nonetheless, it's still telling that cup was able to be ahead of both of them, I believe. But for me, Landry, I think it's the bigger disappointment because I felt like there was less competition there. And with the type of look that he gets, you know, he doesn't really need to be efficient. It could just be volume based. Uh, So I think coming in at wide receiver 25 is kind of reaching what I would have seen as like the low end expectation. Perhaps I was too high on him, whereas Cooks, it was easier to kind of see a situation where he would fall out around where he came. And I think that, like, it's odd. When I look at that 15.3 points per game and that wide receiver 21 finish, if that's what it was, that actually feels like kind of good. But for whatever reason, when I look at Landry in 25 and 13.6, that just feels like, I don't know, it just feels bad. I know there's really not that much of a difference, but so for me, it's Landry. Chris Carson, running back 29 and 11.6 points per game, or Mark Ingram, running back 22 and 12.8 points per game. This one, I think it really comes down to whether or not your opinion was that uh, when Kamara had the chance to take over the offense completely in Ingram's suspension, he was going to run away with it. Uh, But I will let you kind of frame this up. Yeah, I think Ingram has uh, easily been the more disappointing guy Um, because if you have him, you still had to draft him relatively early uh, and then you got nothing out of him for four weeks. Um, and then you got one week out of him, which was like fantastic. Like week five was a great game from Ingram in terms of like fantasy production. But, you know, he got a lot of usage. Um, Kamara didn't uh, you know, like Kamara didn't do anything in week five. It was like Mark Ingram. And then they went into buy in week six. And then basically since then, um, it's been pretty disappointing. You've had a few blow up games from Ingram, but for the most part, he's been a guy who's just absolutely like at best, um, giving you barely enough. And at worst has like destroyed you with, you know, like, uh, like uh, 50 yard outings and no touchdowns. Like he's, he's been the type of guy that at this point, like you, you kind of can't bench him. Um, because he always has that possibility of going off for like 25 or 30 points, but you can't really start him because he could absolutely destroy you. So I don't know, like Carson, I I think he was acquirable later in drafts. 
Um, there was always like the contingency of like, well, is he going to be able to beat out Rashad Penny? Um, you know, I don't know. Like I never really expected all that much from Chris Carson. So like, I, I can't really be disappointed by what he's done. And I think he's actually been pretty good for, um, like the pick you had to use to acquire him. But like Ingram, I think has really been disappointing, especially considering that new Orleans at this point is such a run heavy offense. Carson, I think that you actually should be feeling like pretty good about what you got, given the things that you said. There was reasons that you could have concerns about him. I think that you'd only be disappointed if you really thought you were kind of getting that late pick that was just going to be tremendous, which I don't think people should have been expecting, given what we've seen from Seattle running backs as of late. So I think it was a good outcome for him. Ingram, it definitely has been disappointing, and it made even worse, like you said, by that week five performance where he just went off. Gronk finally has a a real nice game yesterday. He's currently tight end six with 12.3 points per game. Contrast that with Jimmy Graham, who's tight end 18 with just 8.7. Obviously, the difference here is people thought that this was going to be Gronk's potentially best year, a lack of weapons around him. In New England was the narrative going into the season. Remember, they did not have Gordon Edelman was suspended to start the season. Not only was he the tight end one pick, but a lot of people were drafting him perhaps even earlier than they were the year before. Who is the bigger disappointment? (laughs) For for me, it's really easily Gronk. Uh, And it has nothing to do with his inability to play free safety. Oh Um, my God, don't even talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) no i mean it's so graham is we have here the the tight end 18 and ppr scoring um i mean there's not much of a difference uh in like per game scoring between like the tight end 18 and like the tight end 10 you know what i mean like they're all kind of bunched together um and so even though like i don't know you probably like drafted graham at like i don't know tight end six or tight end eight or whatever like He's disappointed, but like you always knew that Jimmy Graham really wasn't an elite player at this point. You were just hoping he would be able to get enough of like the touchdowns from Aaron Rodgers to be competitive at the position. Like Gronk, if you got him, like you had to spend a second or a third round pick. You know, like you were hoping for someone who would give you such a massive edge uh, at the position. And you had to believe that he was much better than Kelsey or Ertz to justify being the first person to go tight end at the position. So like not only uh, has he not lived up to like his own individual expectations, but like he's had to disappoint you in that if you had just waited around at the position or waited two rounds, you could have had uh, Kelsey or you could have had Ertz. So like you, I, you're almost like doubly screwed based on your, your decision to draft Gronk. So like, Easily, I think not just the most disappointing player at his position, I think one of the most disappointing players of like the entire draft. Right. Graham was a disappointment. Gronk was just, a di- he was an unmitigated disaster, really. If you went for him, he was like yeah. one of the players that actually kind of dismantled or dismembered your team, much like Yeah, Le'Veon exactly. Bell. Yeah, like if you, if you draft, oh my gosh, <laughs> imagine going Bell in round one <laughs> and, and then, and then, <laughs> bottom of round two going with Gronk but yeah like if you if you have Gronk on your team um like you probably are not in the playoffs you're probably not listening to this show yes (laughs) (laughs) yes you're probably yeah you you you, uh left the fantasy circles probably a couple weeks back which, which would make sense so best chance of repeating 2018 performance in 2019 meaning your best chance of sustaining that level of production that we saw this season Adam Thielen, who by all accounts has to have exceeded expectations, or Tyreek Hill, who has had some ups and downs for, you know, a wide receiver one type of player, but still has had a very strong season, whereas a lot of people thought he wouldn't be able to, again, sustain the efficiency and again, be just as significant of a contributor in that offense playing with some other talented guys. So who, who do you think best chance of repeating their 2018 performance in 2019, Adam Thielen or Tyreek Hill? Mm, I'm going to go with Tyreek. Um, I think Thielen has, uh, I don't know, like I, I think his, his volume will remain fairly consistent into next season. Um, but, but that might change. Um, I think Tyreek, um, I think he's sort of at his volume floor. 
you know, so like in, in order to adjust anything for him, you'd have to uh, expect that he will be more inefficient. Uh, and he might be a little more inefficient, but I don't think much more inefficient because like he's basically he's basically doing this year what he did last year. Like we've seen him perform at this type of level. Uh, it's just now he's performing with a better quarterback um, and he's in a better offense. So, you know, there's there's more touchdown goodness to go around and he's getting more volume. Um, so I, I don't know. I think we can basically project. Uh, at least I think we can project Tyreek uh, moving forward. Um, yeah, I, I, I would go with him. He's just I, he's so massively talented. Right. Like I, I think he I think he really might be the number one wide wide receiver in the league. Like he probably isn't, but like I, I think people might discount the possibility that he is more than they should. Well, he's much better than that stiff Antonio Brown. Uh, I think he is. <laughs> like I le- legit. Really? I think he is. Yeah. Um. Uh, fewer, fewer targets, uh, just as many touchdowns, more yards. All right. I think we should save this conversation. This might be worth revisiting. I think though, for me, I'm with you feeling what he's been doing. It's going to be hard to repeat because it depends on a couple of things. It depends on getting in the end zone as much as he has. It definitely depends on the opportunity and digs, not leveling things out a little bit more or surpassing him. And I think it would also just take another season of being so uh, like it, it just doesn't line up with the type of it, it, this feels like it has to be his best season going down. I mean, what he did at the beginning of the season, he really was on record breaking paces was very historic. Whereas Tyree kill, I think another thing you're going to hear people point to this off season is they're going to look at things like points per target and do some efficiency metrics like that. But the thing that I kind of started to realize as we were heading into the season was one thing that you're not focusing on is they put him in situations for specific plays that you're not going to see in the stats, right? So sometimes he gets these rushing opportunities, which translate and they kind of force up his points per target, or they scheme different ways for him to get involved. And that's always going to be there, which is going to make him an efficient player. And there's certainly a skill set that he has that kind of lends itself to being efficient and he's just so much faster than just about everybody that he's facing that it can really set himself apart so i'm with you i think that Thielen's probably going to take a little bit of a step back and it's very plausible that hill stays where he is yeah and one thing to to add Mm -hmm. on to this really quickly like i think hill is ascending and that he's still young um i think he could become you know like even more of i don't want to say like an athletic freak but I, i don't think he's going to lose a step Whereas like Thielen is older than people think, like he's already 28. Um, so like, I don't know, I could see him being just a little less athletic, a little less agile next year. For sure. Now, this is the one that I think I'm most interested to get your opinion on. And it's very possible they both stay where they are. But Saquon Barkley or Christian McCaffrey? Um, Man, that's, that's a good one. Uh, I think Saquon. Um, I really like Christian McCaffrey. And, uh, like my comp for him entering the league was, uh, like a better, uh, pass catching LaShawn McCoy. Um, but Barkley is just like nothing we've seen before. Uh, and like, it's just his first year. Like he's, I think he's going to be better next year. You know, like there, there have been moments of adjustment for him and, uh, it's possible the offense that he's in next year, uh, could be better. Um, you know, like, I don't know if Eli Manning is going to be there. I mean, there's talk that he could actually survive another season. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't know if his offense could really get any worse. Um, and there's room for it to improve. And then even if it stays about the same, like he could get better as an NFL player, he could become more efficient as a runner. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go with him. Yeah, I would as well. It's very easy. Well, I shouldn't say it's very easy, but if you're trying to envision scenarios in which things could change. I can see more scenarios where McCaffrey would take a step back compared to this year versus move up. Whereas, like you said, I think that Barkley is probably going to get better next season. And I think as a pure rusher, it's going to be easier for the Giants to give him more overall rushing attempts and and pound him a little bit more than you're going to see the Panthers do with McCaffrey. And then also, if we're kind of splitting hairs, you have McCaffrey in a situation too where you never know if his quarterback's going to take away a couple of those rushing touchdowns, uh, which, you know, for players of this caliber, you have to start looking at 
you know, minute differences. So I'm with Barkley there. This one's interesting as well. George Kittle or Eric Ebron, two overachieving tight ends this season. Yeah, uh, Kittle. I, I mean, I think pretty easily Kittle. Like he is, um, I don't know. I mean, he's he's Kelsey-esque, I think, in what he's doing. Um, he's not like the complete type of all-around player that Gronk is. Um, he's just like he doesn't have that size. He's not as good of an inline blocker. Um, but like he's a dynamic uh, receiving tight end. Uh, and like Ebron is very good at his role, but like it is almost entirely fueled by touchdowns. Um, who really knows what's going to happen with Jack Doyle in the future? But uh, I don't know if it's quite as certain that Ebron is going to be like the number one tight end on his team moving forward. Like they might have another tight end who is kind of like more of the all around receiving tight end and Ebron could just revert back to his role of like end zone specialist. Um, But Kittle, like I feel pretty confident that his role is whatever it's going to be uh, moving forward. And so uh, if he has a better quarterback in the future, uh, I think that could mean mm-hmm. good things for him. But I, I mean, just like kind of stepping back from this, like um, this might sound weird, but like, uh, okay. So years ago, uh, Sean Siegel wrote an article on Marquise Goodwin um, about, uh, about how ridiculous it was basically that people were talking about him as a, a third round pick and how um, they basically had to assume that maybe it was a safe assumption that Mac Brown was just like a horrible coach um, <laughs> in, in order for him to have like this kind of like all world uh, athlete, um, but not be able to do anything productive with him as a football player. And like, that makes me think of like Iowa, like they, they just vomit like all pro caliber tight ends, but these guys don't do anything in college. It's like, what, what is going on at the University of Iowa where they just have like these these tight ends who become like great NFL players, but they do nothing in college. Like, I just, I don't understand. Like, I, I feel like, uh, like on the one hand, it's like, hey, congratulations, you're really good at producing NFL players. Why do they suck so much in college? You know, uh, anyway, so just it's a random side tangent, but like, like Kittle, uh, I, I think he... I mean, it's hard to say like that a tight end is going to replicate his thousand yard season because that's hard for a tight end to do. But like he has just been so dynamic uh, and it's sort of like it's within keeping both of like where he's come from as like an Iowa tight end and also like the the type of things that we've seen Shanahan tight ends do before. So uh, I think he has a better chance of repeating what he's done because it's all based on efficiency and yardage and, and targets. Whereas Ebron, it's based almost just on touchdowns. For sure. And I think beyond that too, if you're looking at the 40, 49ers offense, I think you could probably make the argument that Kittle is their best offensive player outside of the quarterback if you do think that Garoppolo is really that talented. Whereas Ebron, obviously T.Y. Hilton's better. You know, maybe Marlon ba- maybe Marlon Mack is better. Jack Doyle, you could maybe make the argument is the better overall tight end. Uh, and like you said, it really has come down to the touchdowns where we're seeing Kittle be useful in just so many different facets and across quarterbacks too, which I think is a key piece to that. Yeah, it's been amazing. He's been his best with Nick Mullins. And like, I think some of that is like kind of fluky, uh, but um, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Like it's very impressive. And and part of that is also probably because uh, Pierre Garcon has been out. Uh, so right. like more target share in, in general for him. But uh, yeah, uh, it doesn't matter who's a quarterback. Like he's just, he's producing. Yeah. And we've seen Kittle single-handedly win teams weeks, which is something you don't often say for tight ends. Yeah. Uh, Matt. I mean, he yep. leads, he leads all like, uh, not running backs, but like wide receivers and tight ends and yards after the catch. Like he's just like, he is such a dynamic guy. Like he, I think he really is kind of like the next Travis Kelsey. Wow. Well, you heard it first there. I, I think we'll leave the football talk on that note. I want to ask when you are reading something that somebody has wrote, what is your like, I'm going to let you take one of two avenues here. What's your biggest pet peeve? that you have a reading, maybe something that you're editing or what's something that if you're, you know, just reading an article somewhere, a sign that points to you, like if you see somebody do this one type of thing, you're just like, nope, this person's not a good writer. Huh? Um, that's a good question. So, uh, I don't know. 
I, I need to think about that a little bit. Um, I think, um, I think the, the biggest thing is like, has the person viewed things from like multiple angles? So like, I'm just getting like all of this. It's hilarious. Like on, on Twitter, um, like Antonio Brown has a a good week. People come at me. He has a bad week. People come at me. Um, it's, and like the, like, like what they say is like, Oh, do you know, do you watch film? Like, do you do this? Do you do that? And it's like, uh, yeah, like I, th- I've thought about this issue from like a variety of perspectives. And if you looked at the article and you read it, like you would see some of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I-, I think like one of the biggest things that bothers me in writing is if like there's only one perspective and like, it- it's clear that they had only sort of like one idea that they, uh, like one idea, like one observation, uh, and then they sort of like bootstrapped that onto something else uh, instead of like using that uh, original observation and idea as like the kind of guiding thesis for conducting a more thorough study. Right. So like if something, I guess basically like if something is half-assed, then that kind of annoys me. Like, but in terms of like writing, um, I maybe cared about stuff more than I used to, but now I just basically like, I kind of don't care. I care more about ideas. Like, do you, do you have a good idea? Oh, and actually, okay, this is maybe even, I mean, it's, it's tied in with what I just said, but like, do you have an idea that is, uh, actionable and maybe a little bit contrarian? Like, do you have an idea that is different than what everyone else out there is saying? Because if it's just like another version of what other people out there are saying, then it doesn't do me any good. Like it might even be, uh, like better. It might be better than what other people are saying, but it's not sufficiently different for me really to think differently of it. But if it's something that no one else is saying, uh, either in terms of like the perspective or in terms of the data that you're using or like your uh, actionable guidance or whatever it is, as long as it's kind of like different, then that is really what's interesting to me. Um, Because I I do like to like get different opinions uh, and have new thoughts. Uh, and I think that's actually kind of like where the edge is. Like if you're telling me something that is different than what everyone else is telling me, then that's something that I can maybe use to my advantage. So, uh, yeah, I guess I would just, I mean, maybe that all goes into like the overall rubric of like unoriginality, you know, (laughs) like, like, uh, you know, if you're, if you're not researching things, well, what you're saying probably isn't original. Um, so yeah, that, I guess that would be my, my biggest like pet peeve. That's actually, I think like an awesome answer because I think that that probably doesn't just apply to writing. I think that you can apply that to one's job. Like if you wanted to distinguish yourself from other people, you know, maybe they're at the same level of you and your organization. It's maybe thinking about things differently and then presenting something that your bosses or the company hasn't seen before. And I think that's some of the stuff too, that like when you start writing for Rotoviz or start reading, that's kind of a thing that gets preached. So I think that that's like a, a good universal answer, answer just beyond purely writing. So I'm glad that I asked you that because I'm going to try to internalize that and keep thinking about that as I write. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I stumbled my way into that answer. Yeah. Yeah. You have an uncanny ability for that, Matthew. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And that's a reminder to submit your questions for the Life Advice with Matthew Friedman episode that we will be airing at some point. <laughs> uh, but that's going to do it for today's episode. Once again, I'm Dave Cabin. You can follow me on Twitter at DaveCabinFF. My co-host was Matthew Friedman, who you can follow at MattFTheOracle. This has been Rotoviz Radio. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review and be sure to tune in next week. And remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Thank you for listening to RotoViz Radio. Please rate, review, and contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio and support the pod by subscribing to RotoViz at a 30% discount through the listener homepage at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. 
Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9-2. Excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.